You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Alice in Wonderland Syndrome, a syndrome of distorted space, time, and body image. It's the feeling that the entire body or parts of it have been altered in shape and size and is usually associated with visual hallucinations. Did Alice have temporal lobe epilepsy? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Roger Hudgens. Dr. Hudgens is the Chief of Neurosurgery, Medical Director of the Brain and Spinal Cord Tumor Program, and Surgical Director of the Children's Epilepsy Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. He is the author of 65 publications and has appeared numerous times on the lists of best doctors. Today we are discussing new developments in the neuroimaging of epilepsy and its application to the neurosurgical treatment of epilepsy. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable, Dr. Hudgens. I appreciate your willingness to join us today. It's my pleasure to be here. So did Alice have temporal lobe epilepsy, and how do you find the area where her problem was? I think that there's a good possibility that she did, or either that or it was the mushrooms. <laughs> I think that was uh, the Mad Hatter's problem. <laughs> yeah. <they're> <laughs> <laughs> how you find the, the optimal candidate uh, is really very dependent upon our ability to see what's going on in the brain. And this area has developed very rapidly uh, over the last few years. It wasn't that long ago that epilepsy surgery was very uncommon, and, and there was a reason for that. And the reason was that we had a very difficult time localizing the area of onset of the seizures. EEG, while very good, is only uh, an approximation of where the seizures are coming from. MRI scanning, of course, has been the bellwether. It's been what has changed our ability to impact this. And what's happened most recently, even over the last few years, is the number of different sequences, the number of different ways of acquiring MR data that enable us to find lesions that heretofore were not visible. Do you mean things that are like the functional studies or SPECT and PET scanning? What's changed in the imaging? What's changed, really, things such as flare imaging that shows up uh, abnormal collections of neurons much better than just normal anatomic imaging. Functional imaging has helped tremendously, but what it's mostly used for is to tell us where the eloquent areas of brain are. In other words, if we have a lesion in the temporal lobe, we want to know where speech is because speech typically is there. So we use fMRI imaging and the paradigms that go with that so we could localize speech and see if we could get to the area of abnormality without causing harm. Is there a need to time the MRI or the functional studies in terms of whether the child's actively having a seizure, whether they're postictal, or perhaps haven't had a seizure in two or three weeks, and yet it's a child that's having enough seizures annually to be a candidate for a surgical approach? Yes, I mean, that's a very, very good question. If the child is repetitively having seizures, then it would be very difficult for them to be able to cooperate with our paradigms, which take memory testing into account and language and uh, motor function uh, as well. If they've just had a seizure, then that can certainly change the enhancement uh, or where we see the flare abnormalities on MR imaging. So it's very important to know where the child is in their uh, in their seizure patterns to make sure that we can get the most accurate information. Is there a correlation between 
imaging findings and outcomes in terms of perhaps size, location, metabolic activity of the seizure area? Mostly just having an abnormality on MR is a good predictor. With frontal lobe epilepsy, if there is not an MR abnormality, the chances of success are 50% or less. If there is an MR abnormality that is congruent with all your other data, then the success rate is dramatically higher, approaching 70 to 80 percent. What about postoperative imaging studies? Is that predictive of recovery from perhaps the immediate postoperative deficits and also does it have any value in long-term prognosis? It does in the sense of making sure that all of the seizure-generating tissue was removed. Several studies have shown, uh, especially when dealing with the temporal lobe, that the amount of hippocampus that's removed is directly correlated with the uh, seizure control rate. So we typically get uh, MRI scans a few weeks after, say, a temporal lobectomy, looking and calculating how much hippocampus has been removed. Hear a lot about, especially in tumor treatments, gamma knives, cyber knives, jack knives, linear accelerators. Uh, Are there any of these non-invasive or kind of non-invasive procedures going to play a role in the surgical management or the radiation treatment of epilepsy in children? Yes, it's already being used in certain situations. Gamma knife especially, two significant applications. One is in mesial temporal sclerosis, which is really just scar tissue in uh, usually the most anterior aspect of the hippocampus. Uh, And there are studies underway using uh, focused beam gamma knife to try to do, in essence, a hippocampectomy uh, without a surgical procedure. The other place that it's been used at is with corpus callosotomy, where if you do what's called an anterior two-thirds corpus callosotomy and the patient is still having seizures, there's a small amount of hip callosotomy that could be, uh, in essence, disconnected using the gamma knife. Some preliminary results using that have been favorable, uh, with the success rates being just slightly less than open surgery. I'd like to come back to this in a moment, but for those who have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me is Dr. Roger Hudgens. We're discussing imaging as part of the evaluation pre- and post-operatively for epilepsy surgery. We're mentioning the use of the gamma knife as a potential modality. How frequently is that done versus, I guess we could call it, traditional uh, neurosurgical approaches to intractable epilepsy? Traditional neurosurgical approaches are still far and away the most common because We have history with them. We know the results. Newer innovations such as gamma knife uh, at this point are mostly experimental. Certain techniques such as mesial temporal sclerosis in the gamma knife or using the gamma knife to uh, disconnect the posterior corpus corpus callosum have been used, uh, and the initial results have been quite promising. Overall, How many procedures a year are you doing for children with epilepsy, and how many are being done nationally, if you can give us some perspective on that? Right. We perform here at Children's Healthcare probably 30 to 40 new procedures uh, a year, uh, which for us is typically about 80 to 90 surgeries. The reason for that is that in adult neurosurgery and in adult epilepsy surgery, 
quite often these cases are done with the patient awake. We deal with children from months of age on up, and for the most part, they're not able to cooperate. So we do a first surgery where we place a grid that is a very thin device with contacts on it on the surface of the brain where we think the seizures are coming from. And then we can record seizures and actually stimulate that area of the brain to figure out where uh, the important functions such as motor and sensory function are. So usually there's two or three procedures that it takes us um, when we get involved with one of these. There are now throughout the country probably a thousand children a year that will benefit uh, that are uh, undergoing these procedures. But it's interesting, and that's that epilepsy surgery is probably still, uh, over the years, one of the more underutilized surgeries. I was going to ask you how many potential candidates are out there. Oh, there are many more candidates. In fact, is most people estimate that if you could double the number of procedures that are being done a year, you still wouldn't be doing enough. And I think, again, that's due to our increasing efforts to localize where the seizure onset is coming from and due to increasing experience in how to get there safely. You mentioned the localization. I understand you've recently added intraoperative MRI. Could you talk to us about that a bit? Yes, intraoperative MR gives us the ability in the operating room to first localize exactly where the lesion is once the child is positioned and ready for surgery. This enables us to do a smaller opening than we otherwise would and to go directly down to the area. We then can actually do an MRI scan right in the middle of the surgery when the surgical field is still exposed to make sure that we got all of the abnormality. Epilepsy surgery in many ways is like brain tumor surgery and that's that the more of the area of abnormality that you can remove, the better the child's survival or the better seizure control. So it gives us the ability in real time to optimally perform a resection and we hope and expect to improve outcomes. Is that a traditional MRI or have they introduced functional intraoperative MRIs? Yeah, that's all experimental. The MRI scan that has just been placed at Children's here in Atlanta is a 1.5 Tesla magnet. That is a high field strength magnet that has all the bells and whistles that will enable us to do functional MR. It will enable us to do diffusion tensor imaging so we can see where the fiber tracks are to be avoided and how they're being uh, displaced by lesions. So really everything that can be done on a diagnostic magnet can now be done in our operating room. Do you see anything or is there anything that you're aware of that's new on the horizon or if you're going to design the next stage of imaging, what would your ideal concept be? I think that more and more imaging is going to be um, looking at the chemical substrates behind epilepsy. In other words, the next horizon is not just looking for anatomic spots, but for actually looking at the chemical milieu in which a seizure develops. And that can be done using spectroscopy, which uh, enables us to ascertain the biochemical makeup of the brain. It can be done with microelectrodes where we can actually sample areas of the brain. Surgery for epilepsy, our, our ultimate goal in research and our ultimate goal in doing epilepsy surgery is to put ourselves out of business. Uh, I wish able, you well. Oh, yeah, that's, that's certainly our goal. Well, I certainly tip my hat 
to you and the other neurosurgeons who have pioneered this field and to the geniuses who developed this equipment. If someone has a patient that they feel needs referral, is there a way they can contact your center or how would they contact your center? They sure can. We are pediatric neurosurgery at Children's Healthcare and Emory University and our phone number is 404-255-6509. I greatly appreciate your joining us today at the Clinician's Roundtable and we have been discussing new developments in the neuroimaging of the brain in the evaluation of a patient for epileptic neurosurgery. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.